Welcome to a new and exciting website, Golden Gems, featuring some of the golden classic music of all time. We feature hourly a specific artist and their contribution to the music industry. Join us now with music that is timeless and unforgettable, Golden Gems. Welcome back to another broadcast here on Golden Gems. Bill and Dave here to talk a little bit about the life of Louis Armstrong. We hope that uh, you're able to listen to some of his music that we put on our goldengems.net. But here on the podcast, we'll talk a little bit about his personal life. Louis Daniel Armstrong was born August 4, 1901 and lived until July 6, 1971. He was nicknamed Satchmo, was an American trumpeter, composer, vocalist, and actor who was among the most influential figures in jazz. His career spanned five decades, from the 1920s to the 1960s, and different eras of the history of jazz. In 2017, he was inducted into the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. Armstrong was born and raised in New Orleans, coming to Providence in the 1920s, as an inventive trumpet and cornet player. Armstrong was a foundational influence in jazz, shifting the focus of the music from collective improvisations to solo performance. Around 1922, he followed his mentor Joe King Oliver to Chicago to play in the Creole Jazz Band. In Chicago, he spent time with other popular jazz musicians, reconnecting with his friend Bix Baderbake and spending time with Hoagie Carmichael and Lil Hardin. He earned a reputation at cutting contests and relocated to New York in order to join the Fletcher Henderson Band. With his instantly recognizable, rich, gravelly voice, Armstrong was also an influential singer and skillful improviser, bending the lyrics and melodies of a song. He was also skilled at scat singing. Armstrong is renowned for his charismatic stage presence and his voice as well as his trumpet playing. By the end of Armstrong's career in the 1960s, his influence has spread to popular music in general. Armstrong was one of the first popular African-American entertainers to cross over, meaning his music transcended his skin color in a racial divided America. He rarely publicly politicized his race to the dismay of other African-Americans but took a well-publicized stand for desegregation in the Little Rock Crisis. He was able to access the upper echelons of American society at a time when this was very difficult for black men. Well, I'm going to kind of uh, feature some of his early life. Armstrong was born in New Orleans to Mary Albert and William Armstrong on August 4, 1901. Mary Albert was from Boutte, Louisiana, and gave birth at home when she was about 16. William Armstrong abandoned the family shortly afterward. Louis Armstrong was raised by his grandmother until the age of five when he was returned to his mother. He spent his youth in poverty in a rough neighborhood known as the Battlefield. At six, he attended the Fisk School for Boys, a school that accepted black children in the racially segregated system of New Orleans. He did odd jobs for the Karnoskis, a family of Lithuanian Jews. He heard the early sounds of jazz from the bands that played in brothels 
and dance halls such as Pete Layla's. The Karnoskis took him in and treated him like family. Knowing he lived without a father, they fed and nurtured him. In his memoir, Louis Armstrong, the Jewish family in New Orleans, Louisiana, the year of 1907, he described his discovery that this family was also subject to discrimination by other white folks who felt that they were better than Jews. I was only seven years old, but I could easily see the ungodly treatment that the white folks were handing the poor Jewish family whom I worked for. He wore a Star of David pendant for the rest of his life and wrote about what he learned from them, how to live real life and determination. Boy, that's amazing. His first musical performance may have been at the side of the Karnowski's junk wagon. To distinguish them from other hawkers, he tried playing a tin horn to attract customers. Morris Karnowski gave Armstrong an advance toward the purchase of a cornet from a pawn shop. When Armstrong was 11, he dropped out of school. Armstrong joined a quartet of boys who sang in the streets for money. He also got into trouble. Coronetist Bunk Johnson said he taught the 11-year-old to play by ear at Dago Tony's Honky Tonk. <laughs> what a name. <laughs> he said about his youth, Every time I close my eyes, blowing that trumpet of mine, I look right in the heart of good old New Orleans. It has given me something to live for. Well, borrowing his uh, stepfather's gun without permission... One day he fired a blank into the air and was arrested on December 31, 1912. He spent the night in the New Orleans Juvenile Court and then was sentenced the next day to detention at the Colored Waif's home. Life at the home was Spartan. Mattresses were absent. Meals were often little more than bread and molasses. Peter Davis, who frequently appeared at the home at the request of Captain Jones, became Armstrong's first teacher and chose him as bandleader. On June 14, 1914, Armstrong was released into the custody of his father and his new stepmother, Gertrude. He lived in this household with two stepbrothers for several months. After Gertrude gave birth to a daughter, Armstrong's father never welcomed him, so he returned to his mother, Mary Albert. In her small home, he had to share a bed with his mother and sister. His mother still lived in the battlefield, leaving him open to old temptations, but he sought work as a musician. He found a job at a dance hall owned by Henry Ponce, who was connected to organized crime. He met the six-foot-tall drummer, Black Benny, who became his guide and bodyguard. In the early years, Armstrong was best known for his virtuosity with the cornet and the trumpet. Along with his clarinet-like figurations and high notes in his cornet solos, he was known for his intense rhythmic swing, a complex conception involving accented upbeats, upbeats to downbeat slurring, and complementary relations among rhythmic patterns. Armstrong's improvisations, while unconventionally sophisticated for that era, were also subtle and highly melodic. The solo that Armstrong played during the song Potato Head Blues has long been considered his best solo of that series. During the 1920s, Louis Armstrong brought a huge impact during the Harlem Renaissance within the jazz world. Armstrong changed the jazz during the Harlem Renaissance. 
Being known as the world's greatest trumpet player during this time, he continued his legacy and decided to continue to focus on his own vocal career. The popularity he gained brought together many black and white audiences to watch him perform. Armstrong was virtually the first to create significant variations based on the chord harmonies of the songs instead of merely on the melodies. This opened a rich field for creation, improvisation, and significantly changed the music into a soloist art form. Often, Armstrong recomposed pop tunes he played simply with variations that made them more compelling to jazz listeners of the era. At the same time, however, it included many original melodies, creative leaps, and relaxed or driving rhythms. Armstrong's playing technique, honed by constant practice, extended the range, tone, and capabilities of the trumpet. Armstrong was one of the first artists to use recordings of his performances to improve himself. Armstrong was an avid audiophile. He had a large collection of recordings, including reel-to-reel tapes, which he took on the road with him in a trunk during his later career. If you remember from one of our previous episodes, many of those recordings that he took with him in his case were the old Nat King Cole records that he listened to frequently. By the 1950s, Armstrong was a widely beloved American icon and a cultural ambassador who commanded an international fan base. However, a growing generation gap became apparent between him and the young jazz musicians. The post-war generation regarded their music as abstract art and considered Armstrong's vaudevillian style, half-musician, half-stage entertainer, as outmoded. After finishing a contract with Decca Records, he became a freelance artist and recorded for other labels. He continued an intense international touring schedule, but in 1959 he suffered a heart attack while he was in Italy and had to rest. We hope you're enjoying listening to the life of Louis Armstrong. What a colorful life he led. Let's take a look now at a little bit of the personal parts of his life. His family, in March of 1919, Armstrong was performing at the Brick House in Gretna, Louisiana, when he met Daisy Parker, a local prostitute. He started the affair as a client. He returned to Gretna on several occasions to visit her. He found the courage to look for her home to see her away from work. It was on this occasion that he found out that she had a common-law husband. Not long after this fiasco, Parker traveled to Armstrong's home on Perdido Street. They checked into Kid Green's hotel that evening. On the next day, March 19, 1919, Armstrong and Parker married at City Hall. They adopted a three-year-old boy, Clarence, whose mother, Armstrong's cousin Flora, had died soon after giving birth. Clarence Armstrong was mentally disabled as a result of the head injury at an early age, and Armstrong spent the rest of his life taking care of him. His marriage to Parker ended when they separated in 1923. On February 4, 1924, he married Lil Hardin Armstrong, King Oliver's pianist. She had divorced her first husband a few years earlier. His second wife helped him develop his career, but they separated in 1931 and divorced in 1938. 
Armstrong then married Alpha Smith. His marriage to his third wife lasted four years, and they divorced in 1942. Lewis then married Lucille Wilson in October of 1942, a singer at the Cotton Club, to whom he was married until his death in 1971. A little bit about his personality. Armstrong was noted for his colorful and charismatic personality. In addition to being an entertainer, Armstrong was a leading personality of the day. He was beloved by an American public that gave even the greatest African-American performers little access beyond their public celebrity. And he was able to live a private life of access and privilege afforded to few other African-Americans during that era. He generally remained politically neutral, which at times alienated him from members of the black community who looked to him to use his prominence with white America to become more of an outspoken figure during the civil rights movement. Lip Problems The trumpet is a notoriously hard instrument on the lips, and Armstrong suffered from lip damage over much of his life due to his aggressive style of playing and preference for narrow mouthpieces that would stay in place easier, but which tended to dig into the soft flesh of his inner lip. During his 1930s European tour, he suffered an ulceration so severe that he had to stop playing entirely for a year. During a backstage meeting with trombonist Marshall Brown in 1959, Armstrong received the suggestion that he should go to a doctor and receive proper treatment for his lips instead of relying on home remedies. But he did not get around to doing it until the final years of his life, by which point his health was failing and the doctors considered surgery too risky. The nicknames Satchmo and Satch are short for satchel mouth. The nickname has many possible origins. The most common tale that biographers tell is the story of Armstrong as a young boy in New Orleans dancing for pennies. He scooped the coins off the streets and stuck them into his mouth to prevent bigger children from stealing them. Someone dubbed him Satchel Mouth for his mouth acting as a satchel. The nickname Pops came from Armstrong's own tendency to forget people's names and simply call them Pops instead. The nickname was turned on Armstrong himself. It was used as the title of a 2010 biography of Armstrong by Terry Teachout. Armstrong was largely accepted in the white society, both on stage and off, a rarity for a black person at the time. Some musicians criticized Armstrong for playing in front of segregated audiences and for not taking a strong enough stand in the American Civil Rights Movement, as Dave has just mentioned. When asked about his religion, Armstrong answered that he was raised a Baptist, always wore a Star of David, and was friends with the Pope. He wore a Star of David in honor of the Karnofsky family, who took him in as a child and lent him the money to buy his first cornet. He was baptized as a Catholic in the Sacred Heart of Jesus Church in New Orleans, and he met Pope Pius Twelfth and Pope Paul VI. Armstrong was concerned with his health. He used laxatives to control his weight, a practice he advocated both to acquaintances and in the diet plans he published under the title Lose Weight the Satchmo Way. Armstrong's laxative of preference in his younger days was Pluto water, 
but when he discovered the herbal remedy Swiss Chris, he became an enthusiastic convert, extolling its virtues to anyone who would listen and passing out packets to everyone he encountered, <laughs> including members of the British royal family. Armstrong also appeared in humorous, albeit risque, cards that he had printed to send out to friends. The cards bore a picture of him sitting on a toilet as viewed through a keyhole with the slogan, Satch says, leave it all behind you. Armstrong was a heavy marijuana smoker for much of his life and spent nine days in jail in 1930 after being arrested for drug possession outside a club. He described marijuana as a thousand times better than whiskey. A fan of Major League Baseball, he founded a team in New Orleans that was known as Raggedy Nine and transformed the team into his Armstrong Secret Nine Baseball. Against his doctor's advice, Armstrong played a two-week engagement in March 1971 at the Waldorf Astoria's Empire Room. At the end of it, he was hospitalized for a heart attack. He was released from the hospital in May and quickly resumed practicing his trumpet playing. Still hoping to get back on the road, Armstrong died of a heart attack in his sleep on July 6, 1971, a month before his 70th birthday. He was residing in Corona, Queens, New York City at the time of his death. He was interred in Flushing Cemetery, Flushing in Queens, New York. Grammy Awards Armstrong was posthumously awarded the Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 1972 by the Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences. Recordings of Armstrong were inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, which is a special Grammy Award established in 1973 to honor recordings that are at least 25 years old and that have qualitative or historical significance. During his long career, he played and sang with some of the most important instrumentalists and vocalists of the time. Among them were Bing Crosby, Duke Ellington, Fletcher Henderson, Earl Hines, Jimmy Rogers, Bessie Smith, and perhaps most famously, Ella Fitzgerald. His techniques were emulated by nearly all later popular singers. Armstrong recorded two albums with Ella Fitzgerald, Ella and Lewis, Ella and Lewis again, for Verve Records. In 1964, his recording of the song Hello Dolly went to number one. The album sold very well for the rest of the year, quickly going gold. His performance of Hello Dolly won Best Male Pop Vocal Performance at the 1964 Grammy Awards. What a great career he had. We hope you're enjoying listening to all of the life here of Louis Armstrong on Golden Gems. Armstrong had 19 top 10 records, including Stardust, What a Wonderful World, When the Saints Go Marching In, Dream a Little Dream of Me, Ain't Misbehavin', You Rascal You, Stompin' at the Savoy, we have all the time in the world, most of which we've listened to uh, on goldengems.net, and we invite you to go there to listen to those wonderful songs. Armstrong enjoyed many types of music, from blues to the arrangements of Guy Lombardo, to Latin American folk songs, to classical symphonies and opera. 
He incorporated influences from all these sources into his performance, sometimes to the bewilderment of fans who wanted him to stay in a convenient, narrow category. Armstrong was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influence. Some of his solos from the 1950s, such as the hard rock inversion of St. Louis Blues from the W.C. Handy album, showed that influence went in both directions. There is so much more to tell about his long and colorful career. Please go to our Golden Gems website, www.goldengems.net, to learn more about him, his career, and listen to several of his great and timeless hits. This is Dave and Bill saying so long for now till we meet again. Thanks for joining us today for GoldenGems.net. If you like what you hear, tell your friends about us. Go to GoldenGemsRadio at gmail.com and record your comments. Join us again next time on GoldenGems.net with the greatest music of all time, unforgettable favorites.